Oh, I think like uh, obviously playing a few seasons at the ITM and getting like, oh, I guess getting a bit more comfortable playing Super Rugby. Uh, we just probably had a sit down with some of the AB coaches. Obviously, I wasn't in the uh, at like going, it was probably two years before I even got into the All Blacks and uh, just speaking to them and they were just they probably gave me a few things that I wanted to work on and uh, and it was things that probably I like oh yeah. I could probably I could fix those things. It's not a it's not a big thing, and uh, yeah, it's probably then like speaking to them, speaking to playing started playing well in the Blues, and um, and obviously you're playing against the guys that are in the All Blacks. So and from there you kind of take oh I could. Uh, Welcome to my podcast, Coach G, transforming athletes and purpose-driven people. The goal of my show is to inspire rugby players, athletes, and everyday people so that you can chase your goals, overcome those obstacles, turn your vision into a reality. I'll be inviting unbelievable guests in the world of sports as well as the corporate space, sharing their tools and their knowledge on performance, mindset, mental resilience, and entrepreneurship. I am your host, Coach G. Gertrude Stienkamp. I'm a former international rugby player and World Cup winner with South Africa in 2007. I've been retired since 2017 from the game of rugby, and today I'm a professional rugby and scrum coach. I am passionate about helping rugby players improve their performance on the rugby field as well as front row rugby players to dominate the scrum. Another passion of mine is to help people develop mental resilience so that they can transform physically, mentally and emotionally. And every single week I'll be launching two new episodes. On Tuesday it will be a Q&A interview with an unbelievable athlete or a specialist in the corporate world. And on Fridays, it will be my solo episode where I'll be sharing my knowledge and experience in elite sports, but also life in general. Hey guys, welcome to episode number 15 of my podcast, Coach G. And I'm super excited about today's guest. He is an all-black legend. He has dominated the scrum for so many years and he continues to do so in French rugby. We deep dive in his career as an all-black, but also talk about his love and passion for French cuisine. He is none other than Charlie Famiuna. In this podcast, we talk about so many things, but there's lots of golden nuggets for those young front row rugby players. So guys, I hope you guys are ready and got your notebooks ready and learn as much as possible. Right, everyone, welcome to my podcast, Coach G. And I'm really, I'm super excited about today's chat with my man, Charlie Famiuna. Charlie, brother, get a touch. Good to have you with me, man. Good to have you with you, man. This guy's a legend. All right. I think he's still only 25, still another 10 years of rugby. Charlie, brother, how's things going? How's it in Toulouse? Yeah, it's been good, mate. It's uh it's been a pretty good year for us, and uh it's not quite finished yet, but it's uh yeah, we've had a bit of success, so it's uh we've been good and a few more games to go yet. Man, I'm just gonna dig into uh, get stuck into it, you man. That European Cup. How good was that? How was that? How was that experience for you? 
Yeah, it was a. Uh, I think it's. I said to a journalist before, like it's. Uh, there was a lot of emotions to that game, you know. Like uh, we've been to the semis twice and eventually lost to the to the guys that won the that won the finals and. Um, to eventually get to the final and then play La Rochelle, come away with the result. It's uh I think a lot of a lot of uh, emotions in that game. So yeah, real happy with the result. The boys are um played some good rugby, I guess. And yeah, it's all history now. So now awesome man, man. Listen here, Charlie, you know, you've you've been involved with some great teams, you know. Firstly, you're a former all black. Uh, if I'm right, you played over 50 games for them. Yeah, yeah, 50. Yeah. I played exactly 50. 50 men. So I know what it feels like to be a Springbok. All right. What did it mean to you becoming an All Black and to play so many games? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, like uh, when you're a little kid, all you want to do is be an All Black. And um, I, I think I didn't really believe in myself that I would get there. I think uh, it was just, I just, I just wanted to get to ITM. I wanted to get to Super. And then, I think, like, speaking to coaches and stuff like that, they were like, oh, you should really try and uh, get to this All Blacks, you know. And uh, to get there, I can remember the day, like, uh, the game we played Argentina and Wellington, and uh, I could just remember crossing the line and then playing the game. And it was like, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, a lot of emotion goes in that too. Like, it's, it's probably a moment I always remember in my uh, career to play my first cap for the, for the All Blacks. So, yeah. Nah, it's awesome, man. You know, I remember years ago, I was at actually the, the World Cup under-21s, you know, back in South Africa. I wanted in my team was uh, Jean de Villiers, Juan Smith, you know, Pedri Vandenberg. We had some great players. And Sean Fitzpatrick, you know, was the guest speaker. And I just remember he said to me, caught up afterwards, and he said, son, there were two nations that were born to play each other. It was New Zealand. <laughs> And South Africa. <laughs> so, you know, you know, I think there's lots of history. And I think, you know, the great thing about South Africa and New Zealand, there's not a hate-love relationship. There's this thing of respect. You know, we go hard at each other. I remember back in the day, you know, Jerry Collins, God rest his soul. I remember I got a big hit and he would be like, good one, mate. Good stuff, brother. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was like, did this guy just compliment me on the field? I was like, oh. and that's always been like that, whether it's playing the Blues, the Crusaders, and playing the New Zealand boys, you know, we always went hard at each other. And uh, there was just this mutual respect. And um, But you mentioned that you were just focusing ITM Cup. At what moment did it change? What was that trigger event where you realized, you know what, I can actually become an All Black? Oh, I think, like, uh, obviously playing a few seasons at the ITM and getting that on. I guess getting a bit more comfortable playing Super Rugby. Uh, we just probably had a sit down with some of the AB coaches. Obviously, I wasn't in there uh, at like going, it was probably two years before I even got into the All Blacks and uh, just speaking to them and they were just they probably gave me a few things that I wanted to work on and uh, and it was, it was things that probably are like oh yeah I could probably I could fix those things. It's not a it's not a big thing and. Uh, yeah, it's probably then, like, speaking to them, speaking to players started playing well in the Blues. And um, and obviously, you're playing against the guys that are in the All Blacks. So, and from there, you kind of take, oh, I could uh, potentially be an All Black one day. So, and it's just, from there on, it just keeps going and going. Keeps on going, man. And you had an awesome career as All Black. I remember used to hate playing against you. You know, always a tough customer. <laughs> solid unit. Solid unit. And... 
you mentioned they, they gave you a few things to change and that's quite great. That's actually quite awesome because, you know, often I see in the world of rugby at the moment, especially in modern day rugby, players don't really get a lot of feedback. And if you could maybe share with me, what is it that they told? What did you change? What was the difference? Because I always telling players, you know, sometimes it's small things you need to change. We actually need to work on that can make a massive difference. And what was that for you? I think I've probably the one that, and it probably sticks with me for the rest of my life. You know, I'm a, I'm a pretty big boy, but it's always been like, uh, it's getting off the ground fast. Like make your tackle, get off the ground. And then the first five meters, what you're doing in those first five meters. And I think my tendencies were, I'll get, I'll, I'll be pretty, I wasn't the slowest off the ground, but I would walk for the next five meters or I'd, I'll be looking and I'll be scanning for the next five meters. And they were just saying, you got to try and just get up and start moving. Uh, just so the defence is nice and tight. Uh, mm. There's no big gaps, mm. but it was something that uh, has probably stuck with me for the rest of my life. Um, but, but yeah, you know what? I always say um, for myself as a, as a front row player, I always battle with my weight during my career. My, <laughs> one of my former coaches, um, John McFarland, used to say I'm like uh, this, I uh, can't even actually get the name now. Because I think it's a concertina, that's what we call in Afrikaans, this machine that makes this music that goes in and out, in and out. And that was me. I would just blow up, get the trim <laughs> down, blow up, trim down. And it was the case, you know, 2005, picked up over 20 kgs. I was 142. And uh, then came here to Toulouse. I think after my first season, pick up 10 kgs, too much croissants and uh, chocolatines. And uh, story of my life, you know, and um, yeah, it, as a prop, you need to move. You need to get there. I always make fun, you know, the classic props, the old school props, they would scrum. After the scrum, they would break up, look left, look right, scan, check what's going on, take five steps back, then five steps forward, get a walk going, and then jogging. So like 20 seconds would be gone. <laughs> but obviously, that's not the case anymore. You know, Charlie... You've achieved great things. And, you know, whenever I spoke to you, you know, you're always humbled by it. You know, what, what's important for you to have that mindset um, of a professional rugby? Or what's the key to that? Because a lot of players strive to become professional rugby players, but they don't understand the commitment it takes. And sometimes the sacrifice, especially when it comes to family and those type of things. You know, what impact has it been on your life being a professional rugby player? Yeah, I guess it's like uh, from the family point of view, like it's 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 not an easy thing for our wives and partners, um, especially now where we uh, we live in France. Like uh, we're a long way away from our immediate family, and like uh, people see the uh, professional rugby, uh, good pay, and all that, but it's a lot of stuff like the the emotional stuff, the the mental side. That's probably that's what takes a lot of sacrifice. So, uh, yeah, there's things like that. And even when we were at home and playing in All Blacks and uh, playing in New Zealand rugby, you spend a lot more time away from your family. You probably spend like three, four months away from your family. And uh, that's probably one thing I love about France, where you, you play the game. Uh, if you play Saturday, you'll come back Saturday night. You might come back at 4 a.m., 5 a.m., but you're, at least you get to sleep in your own bed and see the kids in the morning. Whereas back at home, you'll probably come back Sunday afternoon and then you'll miss two days, three days of... And you don't get to see your kids grow. And that's probably, uh, you know, those are things that people, professional rugby players, don't take into account as being a professional rugby player. 
So tell me, Charlie, you know, speaking about France, you know, uh, you have the family spending more time. That's what I also loved about when I came to France, you get to see the family more. It was the same with the Springboks, always traveling away from home and uh, being away. And even when I came to France, when I started playing for the box again, it was quite tough being away eight weeks, nonstop away from a man. That was, that was tough, man. We're, we're not going to get into detail. Sometimes we can have some tough phone calls with the missus. It doesn't always yeah. go so well. And those text messages that get interpreted incorrectly, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and all those fights, but we're not going to get into that. But man, coming to France, you know, that's different. Firstly, you experienced the new culture. How was it? How did you adapt, you and your family? How did you find it coming to France? Yeah, it's pretty, like, uh, to be honest, it was, it was pretty, like, for us rugby players, like, you're running around the boys, the boys speak English, uh, if you're lucky enough to get a few foreigners and the French make an effort, you get by like uh, your life is, is is pretty good, but your family life is a bit tough. You come over, uh, we don't speak French. Uh, how they live their lives, where they, they eat their two hours and then uh, after that it closes, opens back up for dinner. Whereas back home, you eat whenever you want. You just rock up to a place and oh, can we have this? Whereas over here, it's just uh, it's their life, but it's the after you get over there and you start to maybe the first four or five months, man, it's an, it's an awesome place to come and play. It's just the initial, you know, the first three, four months, it's a bit tough. But, yeah. How's your French, brother? You speak Franglais? Yeah. <laughs> on peu, on peu. It is all, man, I can get by, I can get by, but it's, uh, yeah, it's probably something that uh, I haven't fully committed to it. So, uh, so yeah. I always used to remember Joe and uh, Census back in the day. They always used to say, how do you say four in French? And then they would say, <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I remember back in the day, you know, when I arrived in France, you know, I did some studying. I tried to, to learn the language before coming and, um, you know, nothing prepared me for it. When I got there, you know, we'd go, bonjour, bonjour, ça va, ça va. And then you would just get that, uh, that awkwardness. You know, yeah. you couldn't speak, you couldn't go further. But man, being a proud man, you know, coming from the all, from playing for the all blacks. And uh, just tell me quickly, I've skipped a few steps. Where are you from in New Zealand? Yeah, I'm from, um, from uh, Auckland, South Auckland, uh, born and bred in Auckland, played all my rugby out there. Um, yeah, and I lucky enough to stay at one club at the Blues, you know, played Auckland ITM, played Auckland Super Rugby. And uh, yeah, come back, come from a big family. Always getting together most weekends, celebrating something. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, a bit different now. Where our family now is my kids, because that's who you look to. It's, it's our foreigner family or the French family. Mm. That's our family now. That's their cousins and mm. uh, the kids mm. they always play with. So yeah, it's, I guess, a typical uh, Samoan upbringing. Yeah. So you have Samoan heritage, brother? Yeah, yeah. Full Samoan. Mum and dad are from Samoa. Yeah, uh, yeah. They moved over to New Zealand when they're uh, uh, young, and you yeah, started our life there. Awesome, man. So listen, him. So I know that you know the Samoan heritage guys are very proud and stuff. How would your family back home feel with you um, doing la bise, giving the French kiss? You do the French kiss? Do you kiss, uh, oh, kiss the boys on the cheek? 
<laughs> yes. Well, not so much. And I'm like, uh, when I when I think about it now, and you go home, and uh, man, if if you went home and some of these French boys come to New Zealand, there'll be uh, people will probably be looking at us a bit funny. But uh, over here, it's just uh, French life, eh? It's uh, it's what they do. So. Yeah, no, it's part of it. It, fe- it felt a bit weird in the beginning, but you know, <laughs> you become mates, you become friends, and you know, it becomes part of life. I remember, <laughs> I remember Gary uh, Gary Bota in the beginning when he arrived, he just stuck his hand up, boom, somehow, <laughs> you know, it was fantastic. Oh man, awesome stuff. Listen, Charlie, um, I would like to come back, come to the World Cup in a bit, but I just want to touch on this while we're talking about France and Toulouse. What was the massive difference you experienced? Obviously, from Super Rugby, you know, we um, training is different, structures are different. And, you know, obviously things have now changed since you have arrived in France. But I really struggled to adapt, you know, getting used to like back then our trainings were super long. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of structure. And even with our program at times, it wasn't great. It got better towards the end, way better towards the end. Obviously, when Ugo joined as well as coach, Things started changing. But tell me, what was the massive difference for you between Super Rugby, the way you guys prepared, and year in France? Yeah, it was probably just the, the week going into it. Like, uh, one thing uh, uh, one thing that probably uh, was there was there probably wasn't enough uh, structure in the week to build up for the game on the weekend where, like, uh, gym or running, like, had we done enough running or... Uh, yeah, just the, like the build-up for the week was that. That's probably one thing I felt. I felt a bit, uh, a bit different. Whereas back home, you'd just Monday, you'll start ramping up the week, and then by Friday, it was just real light and play the game Saturday. But the only thing over here was uh, probably two things was that uh, the Frenchies probably uh, were, are a lot more emotional. Like they're emotional driven. Like uh, they're real passionate people, and uh, emotions and uh, that kind of stuff is good. But you can't play week in, week out with uh, passion. And I think we just probably got a bit more structure to our week and uh, um, and built it off that, built it off the fact that we did our homework, we did our preparation for the, the, the team we were playing against. Um, and then that way, we performances became more consistent, I think. Yeah, you know, and, and you know, being a former player, Charlie, man, it's just, it's just amazing to watch you guys at the moment. You know, when I arrived in France, Toulouse, it was crazy every single week they would play a different team, but we would win, you know, every single week. Just like you had this group of 40 players and they were just rolling them out. And I couldn't understand it in, in South Africa. You stacked, stuck to the core of your team and they were just chopping and changing and playing guys out of position. And these guys were still winning. And um, it's great to see that you guys have found that dynamic again over the last few years. You know, you guys won in 2019. You won the top 14 again, the Bouclet de Brennus. You know, that that was just... How did that feel, winning that, your first French top 14? That was a pretty uh, unreal uh, feeling. Uh, when we won it, it was awesome. Like, it was a full full house, uh, all the fans cheering, and obviously a long year, and getting the result at the end uh, against a tough uh, Clermont team. But, uh, yeah, it wasn't until we brought the Bouclier back and we uh, saw our fans... At home, that, that capital. Was the capital. The uh, capital. That's unreal. That's like, I don't like the fans in New Zealand. Like they're they're they're, uh, they're different. They're just different. Like uh, I said to a journalist, like they're probably more. Uh, they'll clap from 
uh, 10 meters away. Whereas mm. the Frenchies, they will be right in front of your face, uh, celebrating just like with you right there in the moment. So uh, it's a bit different, but it's, it's, they're both, it's awesome. Both is awesome. I uh, mean, I remember when we won the, the top 14 in 2012, you know, I didn't know what was waiting for us coming back from Paris. You know, I celebrated like I would back in the day, the Bulls, you know, we celebrated it all night and, and I thought we're getting home, get to the airport. I said, okay, now I'm going to go home. And I was like, no, gee, uh, this is not how it work. We're going to the capital. I'm like, what do you mean going to the capital? What are we going to do there? Get there like 10,000 people. You're up there on the balcony lifting, man. It was just amazing. And, you know, we, I remember William Savat, you know, he, we were still playing back then. And he organized us the following day, the Monday. I was actually in the president's office at Toulouse and uh, negotiating my extension of my contract. And uh, so we're busy there. And the president said to me, no, sorry, Jim, we need to cut the meeting short. I'm like, what the hell? We're busy now with negotiation. We need to talk. He says, no, William Savat just called. Uh, the team is waiting for you. So William organized the train. You know that train you yes. Toulouse, we're driving? Yes. It was taking us from pub to pub. And uh, the people were just buying us beers. It was just amazing. Like you say, the people are with you. They're celebrating with you. And I found the people also, even though they were like in proximity, but very respectful. I always yeah. remember back in the day when things weren't always going that well with Toulouse, that uh, after game, you would be disappointed. And then the supporters would come to like, don't worry, we will always be here. And, you know, that meant a lot to me because, you know, I love South African people, I love South African supporters, but um, sometimes it can get a bit, uh, <laughs> a bit hectic. Charlie, you know, at the end, when my career came to an end in Toulouse, you know, we weren't in a great place. You know, things were starting to pick up and, you know, Ugo was putting a great few great things into place and I have a lot of respect for him as a coach. And it was a turnover, you know, which we understood, even though I would have loved to have continued the adventure to Toulouse, but that wasn't it for me. I knew it was time to step away. And then we saw this new blood coming in. But especially since 2019, there was a massive declick, like we call it here in France. And, I, and from afar, I'm going to give you my opinion, then you tell me. I could just see, you know, and you guys shared a lot on, uh, on social media, you know, the brotherhood and all those stuff. I could see a group of players that have come together. Like, and I mean, French, foreigners, everything. What was the big event there that changed everything in you guys because you guys just started smashing everyone yeah i don't know if it was like uh it's hard to say you know like uh it wasn't one thing that it just uh it made it all come together i think it was just uh like the first year 2017 18 when we lost the cast in the semi-final and it was pretty much the same core group you know and then uh, we got jerome coming uh and then we started finding our feet a bit more. Or oh, they just started believing. I mean, you know, like when I hear about other teams and they, uh, and maybe the foreigners don't get along with the French, it's hard for me to believe, you know, like it's some of the French guys are some of your best mates in this team. Like, and uh, it's, it's just, uh, for me, it's bizarre. It's, uh, yeah, I, I guess we all have come in together. One thing I've noticed is like uh, back home, we obviously your mates, but over here because, uh, you don't have your immediate family. This like this is your family. So uh, every time one of the kids have birthdays, everyone comes together for the birthdays because it's that's all we have. It's it's our family away from family. So uh, I don't know if there's probably things like that that bring us together, bring us more uh, 
closer so we can have we can ask those tough questions in the rugby games where if, if it wasn't really your mate you wouldn't really ask him you just leave it as is where some of these guys are you'll be your friends for the rest of your life so you can tell him you can put him in his place or you can ask him what it is like and we can get a like a we can get an answer and and that, I guess that makes the team better I'm gonna ask you a question and you can choose to ignore it or not who right now in the stat to lose on team is the most feared player like nobody will question him I know I have an idea who it is or there might be a few but who's the one guy that stands up if he says you go left you go left uh, I'll probably say Rainer <laughs> Rainer Alstad uh, he's probably like uh, he's probably not the player that you would like Like some of the forwards will never be the the Antoine Dupont or Roman Intermatches and Kobe's mm. like the, the player that uh, but some of these these players are some of the backbone to this team you know like uh We'll never get the big highlights, but that guy just tackles and tackles, bro. Like, uh, he's unreal, man. He's unreal. Nah, he's a machine. He's a machine, brother. <laughs> a brother. Yeah. So now we're going to... I just want to finish up on the French side of things. You know, France is a great place. And, and it's great to see that you guys are such a tight-knit family. I believe that is the key to success. Uh, back in the day when I was playing for the Bulls, you know, we always spend time together. We were always hosting Bryce together. And uh, spending a lot of time in the change room together, which was quite cool. We even had a bar in our change room back in the day, the Bulls. But <laughs> on a more serious note, what is your favorite <laughs> meal here in France? Oh, it's probably, uh, man, uh, probably one of the things that I love uh, the most around here is uh, it's like uh, eating the, the, the cheese, like the burrata, the burrata with a bit of pesto, a bit of bread. That, 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 that's probably one of my favorite like little go-tos. Uh, I could eat that all day. That, that thing, yeah. So, uh, fagua, all those little pâtés, those things I'd never eat back at home. Something that wouldn't, uh, um, if I saw it on the menu, I would never like, no, 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 give me some chicken wings or something, <laughs> calamari or something. But now, like, uh, yeah, being in France, it's it just opens up like the world of uh, food over here. It's just it's such a different experience and it's an awesome experience. Hey? Like, uh, it's one thing I like about the French is they sit down and enjoy a meal. Whereas back at home, you probably just go in and go out. Like it's just get your feed. So you've, you've eaten and then you're off to your, uh, you're off to the next job or the next thing. Whereas over here, a two-hour block of lunch, they sit down and enjoy that two-hour block of lunch. Eh? Oh man, in the beginning I hated it, but now I love it, man. That two hours, relax, enjoy <laughs> your meal. It's awesome and everybody's out. And you know, the biggest thing when I came, you know, like we always focused, be busy in South Africa. When I came here and I remember the team doctor back then, uh, Albert, um, he would often come to me, he's like, gee, you need to enjoy life, my man. You're too serious. You need to enjoy life. Take it easy. Look, it's beautiful outside. The sun is shining, you know? And it's crazy to see when the sun is out, how they all change. Yeah. Have you ever picked it up? Yeah, well, like I can see it recently with all the where everyone now with the dinners are open, like everyone's just way more way more relaxed now. Eh? Everyone's happy and yeah. That's awesome, man. Listen, I know you don't have a lot of time, so I want to just get into the serious stuff because otherwise I'll be in trouble, you know. Scrums, all right. Scrums have changed a lot over the last few years. How did you find the French scrums compared to new the scrums in Super Rugby? Yeah, I think uh, one thing I'll probably think about is that back at home, like, uh, like we all work together. We all work together to get the guys ready for the weekend. Like, uh, 
yeah, for the weekend. So if, if the team that starts and the team that's on the other side, they will do what the team you're going to play. So you can have a, a bit of a uh, a bit of a awareness so, or for the guy you're going to play against. But over here, oh, the first year, uh, everyone is just... Uh, it's just a big old who's who's the biggest, who's the strongest. It just like come like straight away. And I was like, oh, this is not. <laughs> That's probably the big. But it's their passion. They want to win. They want to. Um, yeah, it was just uh, it was just hard to try and uh, work with them. It was like it was. It was probably one of the toughest years uh, scrumming was that first year that I was here. Mm. And then after a while, like uh, you start to learn their way and it was probably more that because I was trying to teach them my way but mm. there's only one of me and there's seven other guys that are yeah. doing it that way so uh, that was probably the biggest learning is that i got to I got to do what they want and uh, do it obviously the way that I know but uh, but make sure we're all working to one uh, one job so I think uh, now our scrum's pretty solid it's, it's probably not the best but it's still it, it's probably one of the better ones uh, but it's yeah it is uh it's an experience, man. It's experience. So, brother, you can either confirm or deny. All right. I, I've always seen you being a clean player. You know, you just were like, you're like Owen Franks, pure power, brute strength, you know, just push forward. Have you added a few tricks to your arsenal? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this, yeah, mate. No, there's no doubt. Eh? Uh, you have to do it. Bro. You have to do what they do. Or else you just can't get the results. So, it is a lot, man. I am pretty like, uh, if, if they were if they were wanting to, to scrum straight and I wanted to, uh, I'll be more than happy to uh, like uh, accommodate them. Yeah. But man, it just uh, becomes uh, when people just start taking the piss. It just you have to do it to make uh, to get the penalty. Oh man, but, but, I know. but it's just amazing, you know. The biggest thing, you know, what I, what I picked up in France, like everybody's like people are taking out their popcorn when there's a scrum. They get excited for the scrum. They love it when that scrum moves. For people like cheering, like I've seen people tear their shirts and rip their shirts. Oh, that's how happy they get when they see the team dominate. You know, and it puts a lot of pressure on you as a prop because now you know every single scrum is a battle. You know, you know if you if you're not focused for one moment, you can be dominate. You could be dominating this scrum right now, yeah. and the next one you could be dominated. You know, in terms of that. In the game, and I've always seen you a cool, calm guy. Do you ever feel under pressure? You know, like, oh man, I need to keep on being there. What goes through your mind? Sorry, G. Uh, yeah, man. I, like the recent game against uh, Europe, like, I was uh, that game. Like it, it took the legs out of me. That game, and they, they're a big pack. And they, they had a lot of go forward, um, and like uh, games before, so they had a lot of belief in their scrum. Uh, so, yeah, that game I was wow, the first twenty minutes. The first, we had about maybe five or six scrums, and my legs were gone for the rest of the game. And I, I just had to say, like, for me, I just have to do my job, and that's that's it. Like, uh, my job is to anchor the scrum, and like my process in it, like uh, making sure I'm square, uh, I get that arm down, and I keep pressure on so he doesn't get me up. Like things like that. It's just uh, I just have to believe in my job, like uh, like my process and my scrumming. And like, uh, and that was probably when I started doubting. I was like, "This is the European final. If I don't get this thing down or uh, going, we could like, uh, it could be a big part of uh, a shift towards them." And I think that the first two scrums were a bit wobbly, but then I think in the end we started, uh, we got it down. And it's just, pro it's probably just a, 
a little bit of adaptation for uh, the player you're playing against. I always say, like, you find out in the first two scrums what he's trying to do. And all right, if you get the first one, he pops you up, uh, and then you go, okay, the second one, he does it again. Then you got to change what you're trying to do to to counter his uh, his strength or his what he's trying to do, his his cheating or whatever mm. it is. But you've got to find a solution within the first you, scrums. You put it out there, brother. Lots of cheating, <laughs> around. It wasn't me, it was you. All right, so that's good, Tony. <laughs> I didn't want to say it. <laughs> No, man, I must say you've been on form lately. And I just want to say, well done, man. I know the, the pressure, you know, obviously you're leading in Toulouse as well. And also like everybody guns for you. I can imagine everybody knows they're playing against the All Black. So you've got that as well. Like every guy will come out. He wants to scrum against Charlie, you know, give his best against the All Black. So you are managing that unbelievably well. Charlie, we're about to wrap this up, you know. Obviously, the modern-day prop, you know, a lot of people get sometimes too fixated, you know. I always tell people a modern-day prop is not about having a six-pack, all right? Clearly, I don't have one. I've never had one. I've had a few six-packs in my life, all right? But <laughs> I've, I've never had a six-pack, all right, the actual one on my stomach. In your mind, what does it take to be a modern-day prop? What is required? I think, like, for me, you just got to be able to do your – do your key roles and like uh like there's probably a, there's a probably like a a thing that goes around that the props are like the are not smart like they're not the smartest on the parks and like and sometimes like some props they they just they give more to it like they make him like believe that it is but you know what I mean like they just because they don't they don't prepare for their role they don't uh, they don't know their role and it just makes it, ah, oh, yeah, see, props are not smart. But it's probably just like uh, making sure that you know all your roles and doing it. And then I think once you know everything, like all your jobs, when they call on owner, you get, sweet, I know my job. Then all you're doing is just action and uh, being explosive in that action. And that's how you start to look, like, that's how you start looking good because uh, because you're not thinking about the actual, mm. the thing that they've called. You're just, okay, I'm gonna, my job is to get to that ruck and smoke someone or that's too much. So you start looking better, and then eventually it just it just becomes your your life, you know. Like someone that oh, we can trust in him. He can make his big tackles, win his collisions. He's solid at the scrum, um, and then uh, you know he carries that ball every now and then. But it's just doing your. I reckon it's just um, doing your job. Like we're not going to be one of the big. We're not going to be the big uh, the guy that's going to be in the headlines every week. But we're the we're the backbone of their team, you know. We're one of the biggest. Uh, uh, we nullify one of the biggest uh, like uh, disadvantages, yeah. which is the scrum, um, to make sure that uh, we're not giving away penalties. We're not. Uh, we're, obviously, we're getting penalties. We're not giving away. It's uh, we play a big role in the game, and it's uh, people just want to. I think they underestimate how big our job is sometimes. Man, um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, didn't you show some unbelievable handling skills on this weekend <laughs> against Claremont? Oh, yeah, man. I just it's oh man. we we practice it enough. Like Cecil, Cecil, he loves to play as well. He's just got mm. good hands. And uh, Roman was asking for a back ball, and uh, Cecil passed it to me. So and I just I just managed to get it back to Roman, and Roman scored that that really uh, good try. So just before halftime, took a bit of pressure off us, uh, but it was good. So, man, I've downloaded that clip. I've sent it out to my team. 
and I'm committed to making that clip going viral. All right. I want people to know that without props, teams cannot function. I'm not talking about the scrum. They need to freaking acknowledge yeah. us and they need to start paying the respect <laughs> that we deserve. Okay. So that's going to be my mission, my man. I'm going to make sure that clip awesome. will go viral. <laughs> Almost at the end, uh, Charlie, you know, what advice would you give out to props out there? You know, a lot of them, they are doubting themselves. And I'm sure there are times that you had disappointing games or you were lacking confidence, you know. What advice would you give to them? I think, like, a lot, like I have a lot of anxiety around uh, scrums as well, like, uh, every game. Like like you say, when, you, when you're one of the better scrums, like, everyone's trying to come and break you down, like, uh, and you got to just trust your process, trust your process, and, uh, you know, do it every week that it becomes uh, – that you've mastered your – like, you got all the tricks that you need, all the your roles, and that becomes uh, a second habit. But it's like uh, – but also, like, when you're a young prop, like, there's lessons to be learned. Like, you don't get to my level, like, in two years. Like, it's – I've had – I've been my ass blowing out the side, been popped through many scrums, you know. Like, it's – it's the tricks that you get, but it's it's you never stop learning. Like there's another there's another new lucid that's just as strong, and he brings a new a new uh, a new thing that you haven't experienced yet. And that's probably like playing in top fourteen. You play against like bloody uh, thirteen other teams, European. You play another six old teams, like, and you play against a different lucid every single time. And it's just about like uh, I always say to the young props here, like get a little notebook, you know, like start bringing like uh, writing down your you'll play these guys again, like, and you've got another 10 years for some of the young boys here. So you'll play these guys for another 10 years and you want to start knowing down what that guy's habits are for when you play them again. And uh, now I just watch videos and it'll take me a very uh, good 20, 30 minutes and I could get a fair idea of what he's trying to do. And then from there, you go into the game and you're like, okay, but then you never know, like, he might start doing something different because he's seen a weakness in my mm. game. So that's what I always say, but you got two scrums to figure it out. And then from there, uh, you got to find a plan to... So, so, to Charlie, plan to, so Charlie, outside of your your scrum session and your video analysis, what you do, do you do anything else to prepare yourself for, for the scrums? Do you do any individuals or any drills on your own? Uh, these things like uh, some, like, just band work with... Uh, if I if I get into a habit where I'm swimming into a ruck, I mean into a into a scrum, like just do things that I have to try and do just to focus on uh, what I'm trying to achieve in that scrum. Then there's probably things that I'll try to that even if it's just watching in the mirror, like my setup. Uh, that's probably one thing I'm always pretty consistent about is just doing setups in front of a mirror without looking at it. And then once you finish your setup, you look at the at your uh, setup to see where where you're at. If you need to lift your ass up or bend your knees or bring your head down, things like that. It's probably things that are uh, probably week in, week out, I'll just keep a, keep on top of. Could I ask you a favor, brother? Could you film yourself when you're doing your setup in the mirror? I, w- I, w- I would like to share that. <laughs> yeah, it was. Oh, no, I'm joking with you, man. I just want to make fun of all the ladies that are always looking in the mirror. So I'm like, props, we are handsome people, you know? So we also deserve <laughs> some time in the mirror, even if we are doing our setups. <laughs> But, you know, that's that's great advice, Charlie. I'm not making fun of you at all. You know, that's so simple. You don't always yeah. need to do crazy things. And, and we do see sometimes, you know, I do a lot of drills and stuff. And I do see a lot of coaches sometimes. They want to create drills that are so-called Instagram worthy. And sometimes it's just the simple things that work. Yeah. Like you just mentioned, you're at home in the mirror. 
doing your setups or in the gym, whatever, just focus, just that simple. Charlie, this has been unbelievable, my man. Um, is there anything you else you would like to share? Maybe something to your family back at home, or is there anything you would like to, to, to share with us? No, I think, man, this game, this game that we play is an awesome game, you know, like, and uh, for some of the young boys that listen, like, uh, this game can take you all over the world and uh, provide for your family for years to come, you know, like props, they tend to live, uh, they, they tend to play a long time. So, uh, man, just trust your process. Uh, if it's something you really want to do, man, just keep asking questions and uh, like guys like you and me and Ryan, uh, Jace Ryan, uh, or even Owe, you know, like, give them a flip, them a DM and ask them, uh, what they can uh, help you with. Because all us props, you know, we all, it's a special type of people that play our yeah. position, you know, and we're all more than happy to help each other out. So, uh, man, if anyone needs a hand, you know, wow. uh, shout out. Wow, awesome, man. Thanks for sharing. You know, I didn't even deep dive into the World Cup in 2015, but it must be because of being a former stud to lose and I was more focused <laughs> on that. But well done on winning that World Cup as well, man. It's a massive achievement, you know, being part of that. And and I believe... And how old are you now, Charlie? Uh, 34 now, man. Oh, man. Still six years at least. Six years. <laughs> so, all right. So... Really looking forward to that, brother. <laughs> oh, no, also, but listen, Charlie, thanks for taking the time for joining my podcast. And this is still a relevantly new podcast. And uh, thanks for agreeing to join and just having a chat and having fun. And I hope to have you back in the future. Good luck with that. Good luck with your guys' preparation. And the most important, man, just enjoy it. You know, it's all about memories, making memories. That's what I said towards the end of my career. It's just about making memories. Enjoy it. It goes by like that. So have fun and just do what you do and uh, just go out there and dominate as usual, my man. Cheers, brother. Cheers, Thanks for brother. having me, Dad. Yeah, awesome stuff, brother. Awesome stuff.